There are a few key things that I have come to realize are critical in order for me to see my own progress in myself. And they're not unique to me. I see them in my clients. I see them in my friends. I see them in my sister. I see them in my mom. We all, when we want to change, we need a clear strategy and a plan that we can trust. We need to have someone there to support us and give us clarity when we're confused, someone to ask questions to. We need to have other people to do things with. That's a powerful aspect of women is that when we are with other women, we often have more confidence to keep going, especially when they're encouraging each other. And in perimenopause, the other thing I know without a doubt is that we have been highly uneducated on the rhythms of our body and how they are different than men's. And really, that's what this podcast is all about. Before we dive into this week's episode, I want to invite you into the perimenopause posse to join me and dozens of other women who are healing their hormones and feeling their best in perimenopause with energy, with better sleep, with weight release. Because of the the strategy that is in there because of the weekly live coaching that I'm able to answer your questions and be more specific to you because of the support of the other women in there. And each month I offer a unique challenge to educate you more on what's happening in your body so that you don't have to feel so out to lunch that I know was the exact feeling I had at 37 when all of this just hit me out of nowhere. In June, I am sharing a cycle syncing challenge with you so you can better understand how to work with your female hormone rhythm, whether you're bleeding or not. It's a seven-day challenge that's gonna educate you on that. You also get the P4 formula, you get hundreds of bonus trainings, you get live coaching with me, and you get the support of this incredible group. And these are the reasons that this community, this posse, is making waves in so many women's lives. So grab the link and swipe up here, click the link for the perimenopause posse, and come and join in and stop struggling with where you're at in your perimenopause. It's time for us to step up, have the confidence in ourselves and our bodies in this time in midlife. And guess what? It's only $37 a month. All right, hope to see you in there. Let's dive into this week's episode. What's up, sisters? Welcome to the Period Whisperer podcast. I'm Bria. I'm your host. If you're new, I'm so happy you are here. I'm your perimenopause and menopause sister, your holistic trainer, hormone specialist, translator of your female body. I'm a recovering people pleaser and hustle addict turned body whisperer and hormone decoder. And I am here to help you de-stress your body, decode what it is saying, become the CEO of it, and own your own health, energy, and weight loss again. This show is for you, the overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated step woman who dreams of a body they feel strong, energetic, and sane in. The woman who knows that she shouldn't just wave the white aging flag and believes in a body and life of peace, love, and purpose. But you don't just know how to get there yet. So if you are stuck in your body, your energy, your life, you are in the right spot. Let's lean in and learn what our bodies are saying to us. Hey sisters, I have something special for you today inside of this episode. 
If you've been listening to the pod for a while, you know that healing and feeling amazing in these hormonally chaotic years of midlife is an inside job. It's about calming the chaos to find ourselves, our truths, our connection with our body, our confidence, and and getting back into integrity with ourselves. One of the most challenging pieces I hear from so many of you, and that I struggled with as well, is the piece around joy and passion and pleasure. It's a key piece of feeling amazing again. You want it, but it feels like it's constantly eluding you. Our guest today is someone who not only has a powerful journey of finding and harnessing that passion and joy herself, but has inspired and helped thousands of women to do the same. So let me introduce you to Anna Levesque, who is a distinguished leader in the outdoor industry as a mental agility, can't wait to dig into that term, and whitewater kayak coach. What differentiates Anna is her approach to physical and mental well-being and how this is tied to success on the water in life. She leads, inspires, and coaches her clients on the self-leadership required to live a healthy, confident, and adventurous life and is a sought-after speaker and facilitator for empowering leaders in the outdoor industry. Among her many accomplishments and accolades, Anna is the author of the book, Yoga for Paddling, was named one of the most inspirational paddlers alive by Canoe and Kayak Magazine, and voted the most inspirational outdoor person by Blue Ridge Outdoor Magazine. She has paddled, taught, and competed on the international stage for close to 30 years and is passionate about powering, empowering her clients with courage and confidence through her company, Mind Body Paddle. And guess what? She's right in the perimenopause years with us. So welcome, Anna. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you, Bree. That was an awesome intro. I appreciate you. I'm, um, I'm ready. Good. I'm super <laughs> honored to have you here. We were chatting a little bit before about how we're both Canadian Americans and uh, yeah. um, have some things in common that way. So it's exciting to connect and relate. But why don't you share a little bit about you, your journey, you know, your passion for everyone listening today? Sure. So when I was uh, in university, I discovered whitewater kayaking because I was working in the kitchen of a rafting company near my parents' home. And I uh, fell in love. The first time I went rafting, I was like, this is amazing. It's so fun. It is so empowering. And I saw these people in these little plastic boats, colorful boats, zipping around the river. And I was like, I want to do that. And uh, I never turned back. And so much to my parents' dismay, when I graduated university, I had them drop me off at a whitewater rafting company to become a raft guide. Uh, And and so they did that. And um, and they were very... (laughs) <laughs> What's that? Well, they How were. Dare you? <laughs> I know. Well, I was on going to law school, so <laughs> they thought it was a phase. So they dropped me off. They thought it was a phase, um, but I've never looked back. And I've worked in paddle sports mainly for myself um, for my entire career. So that was in my, you know, early twenties. I'm now almost fifty, <laughs> and so I've been following my passion essentially my whole career. That's really been my guiding light. What, what am I passionate about? And, you know, I had a lot of folks tell me, family members, friends tell me, you know, you can't do this. You can't make a living at this. You know, what about health insurance? What about this? Of course, we live in the U S now. So, you know, the health insurance is very important and it doesn't, you know, it is an added expense. And so I had lots of people telling me essentially why it wasn't possible. 
And I had this like one pointed focus on, I am going to focus on my passion and what makes me happy. And that's one of the pieces that really, when I first started working for the rafting company, it blew my mind to be surrounded by so many people who were so happy and joyful and prioritized fun and prioritized lifestyle instead of, and by lifestyle, I mean, prioritized the joyfulness of lifestyle and healthy living versus prioritizing big house, nice car, you know, which is what I, uh, import, important profession, uh, you know, which is kind of what I grew up, grew up with. I mean, I love my family. My parents are amazing. I have, you know, just, I had an amazing childhood. Uh, and I, I grew up in a pretty normal quote unquote normal, you know, you want to go to university, you want to choose a, a career, you know, you want to be high performing in that career. You want to buy all the stuff and being working in paddle sports and the, in the outdoor industry really just changed the course of my life. So, you know, and then of course I, in, I fell in love with kayaking so much that I started doing it a lot and I had success. I think I had some natural talent uh, as an athlete and be able to pick up technique, made the Canadian freestyle team, competed uh, at the world championships on the world cup in freestyle kayaking and also in extreme racing, which is racing over waterfalls, uh, which is really fun. And uh, from there, I wanted to really empower women because it's a very traditionally a very male dominated sport. So I released an instructional DVD for women. It was very groundbreaking at the time because I said, it's okay to cry on the river. It's just frustration in a male dominated sport. When you say stuff like that, especially in the early 2000s, it doesn't go over so well with some folks, mm. but um, women were have felt empowered. And then I bring in the yoga piece and the Ayurvedic health coach piece. Mm. So yeah, I you know, my approach is holistic because I have so many interests between Ayurveda, yoga, the holistic approach to joy, taking care of your body, taking care of your mind because they're not separate. Mm-hmm. I love that whole I mean obviously the holistic living is a big part of what I talk about as well and it really you do the more you lean into it the more you start to realize the value of it because everything really connects together everything impacts yeah. every other thing every choice that you make and uh, body mind and soul so i think it's really beautiful the work that you're doing and super inspiring for women so thank you for for being bold thank you it does it is bold and yeah. and and we at all ages being bold is is so important, you know, to find that joy because we get in our comfort zones mm-hmm. and especially, you know, when we're in, per- you know, in perimenopause, menopause age, we've gotten into our comfort zones yeah. with whether it's family career and finding that passion that you talked about in the beginning, it eludes us sometimes because we're afraid to get out of our comfort zone, but that's exactly what it takes. Yeah. Do you, um, so you found your passion early, you know, a lot of the times, do you find now that you still look for passion for different, different avenues of passion? Yes. Yes. And, and uh, that's been really important for me actually, because I love whitewater kayaking. It's a, it is a huge passion of mine and I've done it now for 30 years and I can get into a comfort zone with that. And so I challenge myself to get into the beginner zone in other things. So for instance, I picked up stand-up paddleboard surfing in the ocean and the ocean is a completely different 
different venue than a river. Mm. And, you know, in the river, it's important to read the water. It's actually an awesome skill to learn how to read water, choose your line, choose your path. Very uh, metaphor for life, right? Choosing your path. And also then the ocean is completely different. So again, challenging myself to get out of my comfort zone, to be on a board instead of in a boat, you know, the ocean works differently. So there's that. And actually what's interesting is that uh, reevaluating my passion has been important to me recently because I grew up alpine ski racing as a teenager, and that was my first love. I loved ski racing. And once I got into kayaking, I really didn't ski that much at all for 25 years. And more recently, because my dad taught me how to ski and he's getting older, he's still a great skier. And I really, you know, this is the time I need to go on ski vacations with my dad because this is the time he's not going to be around forever. And so that, you know, that helped me actually reignite my passion for skiing. And just two years ago, I felt really stuck in a rut. My husband and I, we don't have children. Um, and we still came into a rut of schedule and kind of mm-hmm. routine. And we hadn't been on a big adventure in a long time. And, you know, we decided to go out West and live in Fernie, BC for a, 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 a winter and ski. And that was, again, discomfort. It's a lot of planning, right? There's a lot of logistics and we did it. And it was so great. It was great for our relationship. It was great for our own mental health and physical health. And it really reignited my passion for skiing. And I had to not relearn, but yes, relearn. You know, I remembered a lot. So to answer your question, that was a little long answer, but yes, I have, I am pursuing other passions and that's been really important for me. I I love that. And I see that. And even when you say it reignited your relationship, we forget whether it's our relationship with ourself or relationship with others, like our partners or even our kids. It's like the newness of something that brings that energy and excitement again, right? It's that newness that kind of reinvigorates and new experiences. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. And and kind of what I heard you say, like around discovering and rediscovering your passion, you know, I heard you say two things there. One is definitely like, let's go back to the things we loved as a kid and remember what those were and find a way to maybe try to reincorporate. Because when we're younger, we're a bit more encouraged to find our passions and loves, aren't we? And then we're told to go to university and and get a big career and have a safe financial future and all these other things. So yeah it's a great kind of breeding ground to go back and rediscover ourselves. It really is. And the other thing I heard you do is like, almost like you take your existing passion and you found new ways to challenge yourself in that passion. So like you love being on the water, you know, you love the, the water sport aspect and you just found sort of a different type of water, a different type of water sport to kind of expand yourself and ignite it. That's yes. So cool. Um, it sounds like, well, how did you find your confidence? At what age did you find your confidence? Uh, ongoing. <laughs> it really is ongoing. The reason I do what I do is because, you know how they say you teach what you need most? Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's definitely part of my life. I, um, I don't, I didn't grow up as a confident, you know, young woman. I, and, and it's been something that I've, been cultivating my whole life. And I actually feel like what I think is cool about these years, late forties, 
early fifties is I actually am feeling more and more confident than I ever have. And part of that is the personal work, you know, that I've done and, uh, being able, knowing that I can generate these adventures, this passion has been really helpful as well. And so I think, well, one, I will say sport has been a big confidence builder for me. You know, although I say it's ongoing, Alpine ski racing. I remember one of my coaches was like, okay, we're going to, you know, ski over this ridge and you're just going to really fast and you're going to deal with whatever's behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, how amazing life lessons, whitewater kayaking, you know, reading the water and being able to make decisions, you know, should I run this? Do I want to run this? I'm nervous, but I'm going to do it anyway. That builds a lot of, a, a lot of confidence. Wow. And learning how to roll in self-rescue and, and all the risk management. So for me, sport has been has been huge. And also in the confidence in, in whitewater kayaking, we have a saying, practice hard moves in easy water. So in other words, flex your muscles in low consequence environments. And I think that's, I, I love to live by that, right? So when it comes to confidence, build slowly. It's the small, consistent actions that we do over time that create big results. And I think that's true for confidence as well. What doesn't build confidence is when we want everything right now at the highest level and we jump into something we're not ready for, sometimes that can be great, okay? I'm not saying that we should never do that. And we set ourselves up for success when we do practice these hard moves in easy water. So if we want to take on a different passion, whether it's in sport or any, any other area of our lives, start small, like go check it out, you know, take a class, see if you like it and uh, go from there. You don't have to expect to be the expert right away. I love that. And how would you say finding your confidence or continuously finding your confidence, which I love that you shared and, and finding this, these different passions has impacted how you actually feel in your body. Yeah, I think, well, one thing about confidence that I think is important is not being so hard on ourselves. (laughs) And that is a tough one for me because I tend to be, you know, hard on myself. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to our bodies, it's important to not be so hard on ourselves and on our bodies, right? Especially in these changing times of that it's looking different. Our cycles are looking different. Our bodies are looking different, feeling different and, and not wishing for something else or wishing how it used to be. Right. Or wishing that, Oh, I wish I were more confident. It's like, okay, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. I'm going to fully accept that once we've, once I fully accept where I'm at, then, then I have the power to make choices to do something different. Whereas if what we resist persists, Mm -hmm. so, you know, Having the confidence to say, okay, this is how I, this is what's happening right now. It doesn't feel great. And I know that I can take action to do something different, right? Or it might not even be do something different. I have the power to change the context through which I am viewing my body or I'm viewing this situation, right? Because I could choose to view it as, oh, that sucked. You suck, whatever, you know, whatever negative self talk I could go down. Or I can view it as, wow, you were really brave to take that on and it didn't work out the way you thought and you just learned a a bunch so that next time you can come in better prepared, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, in the body, same thing. If I'm, 
you know, I can tell when I'm eating inflammatory foods, if I'm indulging, for instance, and it doesn't feel so great. Well, I, if I just ignore that, that doesn't help me. But if I say, yes, I've been eating some inflammatory foods, you know, and I've been enjoying it with my friends and now I want to feel differently. So I'm going to change my behavior. I love that. It's like, sometimes we do things and we recognize that we did them. Sometimes they're done in joy. And so they're provided, excuse me, it provides us with its own value at times, but it's then you, then you choose again when you realize how you're feeling. Yeah. Um, have you noticed, so, um, when did you start to notice or have you noticed shifts in your body's ability and how you feel in your body since since kind of entering into perimenopause and these sort of hormonally chaotic times? Yes, definitely. There was, uh, so I have a steady yoga practice every morning. I've been doing that for decades and mm-hmm. in meditation. And a few years ago, I started having panic attacks and I was like, people like me, this does not happen to people like me. I literally had that thought and I, it would, that was so frustrating and upsetting and, uh, you know, you don't really get answers. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I looked for strategies, which again, that's where the accept, you know, breathe through it, um, really worked for me. I'm not saying it'll work for everyone, but that worked for me and they passed And it was really, I went and got like a heart analysis because just went to my doctor. Like, I don't know what's going on with my heart fluctuations and all this. And um, of course, nothing was wrong with my heart. Everything's fine. And so then once everything's checked out and there's no answers, then that's where these other strategies need to come in, at least for myself, of the breathing, relaxing. And so that was really wild. And they passed. So I haven't had one in years, well, like several years, um, which also that's when I was also, and one of my doctors said, yeah, this can be peri, you know, perimenopause or you look online. It, it, I'm not saying it is for sure. I'm not a doctor, but it can be. And then, yeah, definitely my cycle is changing and it can be frustrating, especially, you know, I teach a lot on the water <laughs> and having a cycle every two weeks is not awesome. And then, and so, yeah, there are lots of different changes and, and I do feel, um, you know, with, with maybe weight and, and all that stuff, small fluctuations, but that, that's what I've been feeling mainly. And then of course the emotional piece though, I do feel, I have interesting things like my upper lip gets really hot instead of like having major hot flashes. So again, you know, no one knows because there's not a ton of research and you're just like, wow, I've been experiencing this and it coincides with this time in my life. Who knows? Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely changes. Always, uh, validating to hear you say like, that is the purpose of this podcast is to try to educate more people. And I know that's a part of your, I think, platform in terms of helping is like that educational piece, just so that people realize, you know, what, what they can change when they know more about themselves because there's just not a lot of information out there. A big thing yeah. I think about the shifting time that people don't recognize is it's it's as dramatic as puberty, as you know, pregnancy, right. as postpartum. So it's a significantly part significant part of every woman's life. And yet there's not a lot of compassion. There's not a lot of education. There's not a lot of support. Right. And we're all kind of like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. 
So for you, the journey has, you know, what's really helped you, the tools that have really helped has been getting quiet, you know, breathing and, and recognizing what it is and trying to breathe through that. Yeah, definitely for the higher anxiety. And, and I'm grateful that I have, I have a strong yoga practice, meditation practice. So, uh, and not trying to fight it. And I think that is, you know, I have, um, clients in paddling who, they'll come to me if they've, they've been out of it for a while and then they want to get back into it. And they'll, they'll, you know, say things like, well, I used to be, I used to be able to do all this stuff. It's so frustrating. And I think that's where we get tripped up Mm. again, is that wishing that things were different or not wanting to accept where we are and there's nothing wrong. We're all where we are, where we are is where we are. Mm. It's not, you know, right or wrong, good or bad. And I think that if we could take that lens, then looking for different strategies. We're more open to different strategies. And I think also, of course, you know, I started lifting heavier weights again. And I think that one of the things for me in terms of kayaking, what I love about it is, yes, there are heavy boats. The other thing that my clients tend to be in their 40s and older, and I love that. I have several clients in their 70s, whitewater kayaking. And they only, they started in their sixties. So for all of you listening out there, if there is a passion or some amazing activity you want to take on, please don't, please don't talk to yourself. Like you're too old, like watch that self-talk, um, and take it on. And part of it is, you know, working with the, the, the equipment, which can feel a little heavy and walking around with it and loading it. And there are different strategies. I also feel like when you are doing a sport, an outdoor sport, and you're having to carry some gear, I think that's helpful because you've got the joy and fun and adventure and you are active and also kind of lifting heavy stuff, but in a functional way, Ah. (laughs) which makes it more fun to me. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And functional movement, right? It's so important for the longevity of our bodies and our lives. Um, one of the things I was hoping to talk to you about, you know, as an athlete, you know, in a, in a pretty intense sport would say you have done, I think you do a really great job of also kind of balancing that with the expansiveness and the repairness and the alignment of yoga. And, you know, how do you balance those two pieces? You know, maybe I should say it like this. I know that there's a lot of women listening who are athletes, you know, big either triathletes or, uh, you know, marathoners or big time lifters, you know, just a passion for activity that way. And it has, it bumps up against some trouble a little bit in these perimenopause years. Um, and, and the mindset around adding yoga in can be a bit challenging. It's like, that doesn't feel like it's doing me any service. It doesn't feel like it's burning powers. doesn't, you know? Um, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, uh, for sure. Because definitely in whitewater kayaking too, and a lot of high intensity outdoor sports, people don't want to (laughs) rest. They want to do like the core stuff, you know? And what, what I say about that is that the science is very clear. Um, and about, that when you are performing and especially learning, if you are wanting to improve, that having one pointed focus or concentration is important. And then the other thing is rest. I mean, mm. the studies, there's so much science right now out about rest and uh, of benefits for the brain, for the body, and for performance. Mm. And so I think looking to the science has really helped me out um, that giving 
my body the time to process what's going on and also my mind. And that is beneficial for performing better. Mm-hmm. And especially around sleep, right? Sleep can be a big, but there's a great book, Why We Sleep. I don't know if you've heard of it by Matthew Walker that I love and really delves into this science of sleep and how beneficial it is. And so if the science weren't backing it up so much, I think we could continue to be skeptical, but I think we do it. We do ourselves a big service when we actually look at the science and evidence base in terms of what rest can do and yoga, anyone who wants to perform at a high level. I mean, yoga is not about, (laughs) this is what I've, find interesting. And what I don't love about yoga culture is so much, some of it is like, oh no, it's about being blissful, like light, light and love, light and love. Actually, yoga is a practice, is a discipline practice. And it's not, yes, being blissful can be a, an outcome. The practice itself is about putting your body in challenging poses and being able to calm yourself and breathe through the, through, through the discomfort through the shakiness, through whatever's going on. It's not just about doing whatever you want, whatever you want, because you so that you feel blissful. And so I think some folks really, I don't usually use the word wrong very often, but I think some folks really get it wrong about yoga. Mm-hmm. There's it, it really teaches freedom through discipline. When you have the discipline mm-hmm. to actually calm your mind, because it takes discipline because our minds are designed to assess threats and opportunities, and what yoga and meditation helps us do is create space within the within the incessant thinking and that takes discipline and it's not that easy and then for the for the body at the end of yoga they always talk about resting in relaxation so that's to allow what you've just done to actually sink into your cellular intelligence and so i think there's a lot of benefit Yeah, it's a, you know, so everyone who's listening here, you've heard from a recognized athlete, how critical rest (laughs) is and, and the practice of yoga. I I love that. I don't think I've ever really heard it explained that way. I think I understood that in my own body, but I don't know that Mm -hmm. men could have put the words to it the way you did. So thank you. That's, that's incredible. Um, there was something that I heard you say, you know, in, you know, in just in my research around you or, or you know, following you. Um, he said, through paddling yoga and Ayurveda, I've learned that true freedom is achieved through discipline. Doing whatever I want, whenever I want, like pacifying myself with sweet treats isn't freedom. In this case, I'm actually a slave to sweets. True freedom is doing whatever is needed in the moment. What do my body and my mind really need or want right now? I think this is such a powerful uh, thing to share. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about it because I know for a lot of people who, whether it's using food or using other things to numb or as crutches, really struggle with that kind of mental shift into really stepping into empowering their body and and being that mm-hmm. CEO of it. So can you talk a little bit about that? Am I putting Yeah, it I love that. No, I love that the CEO of your body. Yeah, I it's funny because I often tell my clients like be the boss of you. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, be the boss of you because <laughs> no one else can be the boss of you, nor do you really want anyone else to be the boss uh, of you. Yeah. So, yeah, the yes, the 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 freedom through discipline. So, in my own life practicing, you know, I practice a lot of ayurvedic uh, schedule. So I'm, I'm pretty disciplined with my bedtime, my wake time, 
uh, exercise time, eat time. I'm going to interrupt and ask, can you explain for anyone who doesn't know what Ayurveda is? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Ayurveda is the sister science to yoga. It is essentially the Indian from, you know, India, uh, system of, of, of medicine. And it has its roots closely related to, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. And it's based on the five elements, um, air, uh, water, earth, fire, and ether. And that we have all of those elements exist in nature. They also exist within ourselves. And each of us has a unique combination of those elements. And those elements have qualities. So, you know, a fiery person is hot, sharp, you know, very motivated. Uh, You know, an airy person is up in the clouds, very creative, uh, you know, very does not like routine. Uh, Earth water person, you know, tends to be put on weight more easily, um, is more calm, patient. These are generalizations, but just so you get the the idea. And so once you know your unique constitution, you can then tailor your diet and lifestyle to optimize for your constitution and also for the cycles of nature. So the I when I with the the cycles of nature really about this circadian rhythm, which I really love. The light dark cycles, you know, we so when it comes to freedom through discipline, it means having a disciplined routine. I mean, that is the basis of Ayurveda. What is your disciplined routine for your daily life? It doesn't mean that you can never veer off of it, right? It doesn't mean, and it definitely doesn't mean the absence of joy. When I'm very disciplined with my, for instance, I, I call my morning routine my buffer from my phone, right? Because mm. if there's anything that's going to disempower you, it's looking at your phone first thing in the morning, right? Because then you're giving your power away to whatever, social media, email, other people. Nothing that's actually going on right there in your physical space. Uh, And so, so important to have some type of mindful practice in the morning mm -hmm. that buffers you from your phone is one thing. And if you can be disciplined about that, you do have freedom because you have freedom to be creative, you know, and to be with what's actually right in front of you versus sucked into some social media conversation that isn't that important. So I think, and then with the, for me, I know intermittent fasting, some people like it, some people don't. I like the Ayurvedic. I find that the Ayurvedic intermittent fasting is very friendly. You eat breakfast, then wait three to four hours, eat lunch, you know, four to five hours, eat dinner, and then a 12 to 14 hour uh, fast between dinner and breakfast, which also helps with your sleep. So that really works for me. I know it may not work for everyone, but having discipline, I'm very disciplined in like, oh, I just ate. There's there's no snacking because for my constitution, if I snack a lot, it I don't feel good. My energy drops. And so many, I offer two cleanses each year, a cleanse in the spring and a cleanse in the fall. They're very friendly cleanses. We eat real food. It's Ayurvedic based. Um, it's very, it's healthy. And one of the biggest things people say is, wow, my brain fog has disappeared, you know, because they are eating every two hours and you just don't give your, we have to digest our food, but we also have to digest experiences. And again, the mind and body are connected. So if all of our energy is going to digesting food all the time, it has less energy for focus. Absolutely. And, and in these years to try to tie it in for anyone listening, cause I, that's exactly how I, uh, what works best for my constitution as well as eating sort of these three meals, you like physiologically as well. It it keeps our blood sugar more consistent for us. 
which is really key in these, again, these hormonally shifting years, because the, the moment we get a little out of whack, that just makes things harder. And it also, yep. like, as you say, it creates that space in between for the body to deal with the other things going on in the body other than digestion. So I love yes. that. That's super powerful. And I think it can be beneficial to a lot of people. Um, another question I had for you, sorry, I'm just, I'm on it today. Yeah. 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 Um, something that really impacts women, you know, and how they feel in their body in, in perimenopause is really just this elevation of, of our stress response with cortisol constantly coming in. Cortisol really suppresses our progesterone, which kind of throws the rest of things out of whack. I talk a lot about the fight or flight response, and I heard you share that the fight or flight response is different in women than in men. Um, I'd love for you to talk about that if you don't mind. Yeah. So I, I'm happy to, and that is based off of a, I wish there were more research, but I haven't been able to find any since 2001. There was a study done by UCLA researchers. um, And their premise was that most research about the fight or flight response was done on men in the 1930s. They didn't have, I don't think any, or very small percentage of women in the study. Which is and so, right. And the consensus was, you know, this is fight, fight or flight was the stress response. And they, they, they um, pulled from different studies, animal studies and human studies, and came up with this hypothesis that, the female that in females that uh, stress response would be um, better called tend and befriend because the fight or flight if you have young young children or children you're not necessarily going to fight or flee you want to take care of your family and then the other the what was most interesting for me was the befriend part mm-hmm. and they really showed or uh, in this study at least how women, the, the social bonds are so important and that women would rather be left alone than be left with a, an unknown male in a stressful situation. But that when women are together, they show like the most affiliative behavior, like smiling and laughing and sharing. And I see that on the river, which is why I do whitewater kayaking programs for women is that I see the confidence go up when women are together and there is something about, it feels like a safer environment. And so that study, I've been searching, like I look up Tend and Befriend all the time to try and see if there's more research and it just, I don't know if it didn't, never caught on. Now I know they have the stress response they've added, well, since then added I think fawn and freeze, which are also important, which I experience <laughs> definitely. Um, but I think the, what I really, what rang true for me in that study and that I see it, it's anecdotal, but I see it in my practice is that women do build confidence and feel safer in groups of other women. And so, you know, we're talking about building confidence in the beginning. One thing that I have used throughout my life is, is making sure that I'm surrounded by strong women who I look up to and, um, you know, coaches, colleagues that, um, you know, one of my, 
my friends, she recently ran a big rapid that she hadn't run in like 10 years. She's 50 and it's, and it's just so inspiring. Right. And these, that inspires me more than some dude doing it. <laughs> it just does. And so, yeah, so that's what I'll say about that. And yeah. I know. I love that. I really appreciate you sharing. I'd never heard it before. So that's why I was just curious to hear more about what you've said. And obviously if there's not a lot of any, you know, that one research paper and you keep looking, that's, it's powerful because it reminds us of an other tool. Well, one, I think on one hand, it reminds us that that tendon befriend versus fight or flight, it's, it is our natural reaction in a stressed out response to kind of fall into that fawning category, which is where we run into a lot of women is maybe putting other people before us. But- right. The other side to use it in a positive way, which I hear you saying is if you're struggling in confidence, you know, our natural instinct can be to want to hide away and shrink away, but finding more confidence is going to come from connecting with more people, with people, whether they have that confidence yeah. or just coming in and doing things together. And you say, you see that on the water. Yes. Yeah. That's super powerful. Um, so I feel like we've covered a lot of really, I feel like you've given some amazing tips here in terms of helping women, you know, whether you're an athlete or not, like finding that good morning routine, making sure you're resting, making sure you're, you know, working on your, whether it's breath, if you're struggling with uh, anxiety and meditation or yoga to help with that, you know, kind of round out everything. Um, you've given us some really cool tools, but what would you, you know, what advice would you give to women who are overwhelmed and struggling and don't know where to start to find this passion piece, to find the calm in the chaos. Mm -hmm. Hey, I really like this idea of separating what's happening from the story that you're telling yourself about what's happening mm. because they're two different things and mm. we can be telling ourselves a very self. So there's what happens. So for instance, if I take a swim in the river, uh, you know, I pull out of my kayak, which can be scary, right? And, and I take a swim, I get pulled to shore or, you know, I, someone helps to rescue me. I'm on shore. That's what happened. I, I swam out of my boat. I made it to shore. The story I'm telling myself is, oh, I'm a crappy kayaker. Maybe I shouldn't be out here. This really sucks. You know, no one wants to paddle with me anymore because they just had to rescue with me. None of that is the truth. You know, if sometimes if we compare it down to what are the facts of what's happening, what stage of life am I at factually mm -hmm. and discern then the story that we're telling ourselves about mm -hmm. perimenopause, menopause, which, you know, honestly can be informed by whatever someone said, the media, you know, can you look at the facts and then create your own story? Because if we all, we're all storytellers. So if you're going to tell a story, you may as well tell a powerful one. And so finding your passion, your joy is about telling yourself a story that you can find your passion and joy, right? Versus I'm too old. My body doesn't do that anymore. I don't have any energy anymore. There's too much going on in my life. This and the other thing, I, what's that? Never going to change. Right. And the other thing that I will offer is when you notice those self-limiting stories, flip it to a question. I can't afford that. I can't do that. I'm too old. Okay, well, how could I do that? How could I afford that? 
You know, what is possible? And when you flip it to a question, then you open up possibility. And by the way, you don't need to have the answer right this moment. It's okay. Just continue. Just ask the question. Asking a question of how could I do this is so much more empowering, right? Than, oh, I can't do that. (laughs) Too often, we just are telling ourselves self-limiting stories that are not even true. That's what I'm getting at. So boil down the facts, notice the story you're telling yourself, and then create a different story by asking questions. What's possible? That's what I would offer. Oh, I love that. It's an incredible offer. Um, and and so I, now I have one more follow-up question. Sorry, but I loved when you talk about how you know you were really struck in those early years by seeing people who were putting lifestyle and joy first. I think this is a challenging thing for us now that we're in our midlife, if we haven't been doing that, to begin mm-hmm. to implement those those steps, right? To kind of undo maybe some of the conditioning that has happened in our minds or the stories that we've told ourselves as well. Um, even with health, right? I think often we people are too busy to take care of themselves or too busy to make changes or, or as you say, as I'm asking this, I feel like it's going to be the same answer that you just gave me, but, <laughs> but what, can you just speak to that for a minute? When you feel like it's too, when you're too busy, how do you, yeah, just what advice would you give people then I, I think to start prioritizing lifestyle or maybe what's the value yeah. of prioritizing yeah. lifestyle and passion as the foundation and then fitting the other pieces in? Well, yeah, the value is that is your joy. You you only have one life. This is it. So, and and if you're feeling overwhelmed, just remember happiness isn't something that that happens to us. Happiness is something that we create. And then the piece about being too busy, I mean, I I I get it. And that's why I coach my clients, right? Um 5 minutes. Can you create Okay, we're starting small here. We're going five minutes of a buffer. When your alarm goes off in the morning, instead of just picking up your phone and looking at it, do something else. So what are you going to do? Going to go scrape your tongue or, you know, brush your teeth, oil pull, whatever it is. Um, Then drink your lemon water, whatever it is. But do some, or even if it's just, okay, before I look at my phone, even smaller, I'm going to express gratitude for my life. Wow, I'm awake. Wonderful. I have a new day, Mm -hmm. right? And and doing it even when you don't feel like it. Like there's mornings I wake up like, oh my gosh, so much to do today. And I catch myself. You know, I really have challenged myself to start my day with expressing gratitude for my life and just doing that. And I think with high-performing athletes, to your point, I think sometimes we have an all or nothing attitude. Like mm-hmm. it's got to be amazing or it's not worth it. If you can't do a two-hour bike ride, then like if you can only do 45 minutes, that's lame. Like yeah. don't, it's not even worth it. But that is actually not true. That's another self-limiting statement. And it does affect our mental health because we're never good enough. Then nothing we do is good enough because it's not the two hour bike ride. It's not the six hour swim or whatever it is, or the, you know, whatever it is. And I, I think speaking to all of you high-performing athletes, you know, challenge yourselves because you love challenge. So this is just a different type of challenge. Challenge yourselves to embrace the small, to embrace small, consistent actions over time, to embrace the 45 minute bike ride. Cause that's all you can fit in to embrace the 10 minute walk after dinner. Cause that's all you can fit in, but man, it does help with digestion because walking is the best exercise for peristalsis. You know, there's so, there's so much and just try it on. I'm not saying you have to become a believer right away. 
but, but you don't know until you try. I love that. Thank you. That was, that was really incredible. Um, so I feel like you offer so many things. I'd love for you to share a little bit about like what you have going on right now. And then of course, how people can learn more from you, because I've, I know I've been really inspired by our conversation, um, to go out and find more confidence and find, you know, find more passion in life, but how, how can people learn from you? Where can they come to your programs? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Well, the, a great place to start is my website, mindbodypaddle.com or my YouTube channel, actually, which is Anna Levesque. If you search on YouTube um, at mindbodypaddle.com, I offer a weekly newsletter. So that's a great way to get to know my content. And you can look at my blog. I have many blog posts and same thing on YouTube. I have lots of free video content. And I also offer um, a free webinar once a month. Some of the content is very whitewater paddling related. So if you want to come check that out, like what is this whitewater kayaking thing about? You can tune in there. And I offer private instruction and one-on-one coaching. And I offer group programs. Typically, my group programs are for folks who already whitewater kayak in terms of the paddling. Um, But I do offer all-level private instruction and all of that is there on my website. I'm happy to answer questions. Um, you can just email me, Anna, at mindbodypaddle.com. Um, and I'm on social media as well, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I will put, I will make sure to put all of Anna's links and how to connect with her in the show notes. So just swipe up and grab that. Go follow her, read her book, um, and and learn more from her because I I you know, well, we just learned on this podcast, the value of women connecting with other women and helping that build our confidence. And, and we certainly are, you know, the sum of the the people we hang with. So Anna, you've been such a light. I'm so grateful for your expertise, for your time today and, and just for your passion that kind of, I can feel right here as we talk. So thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Bree. Thank you for this podcast and for, for what you do for your community. I'm, I'm so grateful for you and grateful to have the opportunity to be here. Thank you. All right, sisters, go out and be more in your life and not just less on a scale. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the Period Whisperer podcast. I want to encourage you to reach out to me directly and message me if there are topics or things you're struggling with so we can address those right where you are at. And of course, if you loved this episode, if you learned something, make sure to share it with your friends and please rate and review it wherever you get your podcasts.